And that's kind of like what she said when we were talking about the Middlesex situation where like yeah. she she you know sent out some tweets afterwards where she's like, I they can't cancel me. I still have my <laughs> platform. Yeah. And just to like feel into I mean, to humbly relate it to myself. Stop being I, humble. Stop playing. <laughs> no, no. Talk I mean, your shit. No, no, no. <laughs> this is like <laughs> Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. All right, all right. Good morning, <laughs> good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. Humanize is now broadcasting live and in color. <laughs> live as in, like, not live, <laughs> as not in live. recorded. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, as you can see, we are so excited. We're elated to be here and just appreciative for this moment in time and this platform that we have. Yo, I, you know, I'm just going to allow my esteemed co-host to bring us out. I just want to let y'all know that we are debriefing a very powerful episode today. Emily, what's good? <laughs> yes. So today we get to talk about our episode last week, which was an interview with Nicole Hannah-Jones. I yes, still sir. can't believe that happened. I can't believe it happened. So Nicole Hannah-Jones is the creator of the 1619 Project. She is a writer on staff at the New York Times. She is now a um, teacher at Howard University. She is award-winning journalist. She has won Pulitzer Prize, Peabody, <laughs> like MacArthur Genius. <laughs> I mean, like, this was a, a true honor to get to sit down with her. And, you know, the conversation that we had was really about her being this controversial figure, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. like this avatar for critical race theory and a point of, like, the right wing is kind of just out to take her down mm -hmm. and where our paths intersect is that she was invited and then disinvited to the high school that I went to in Massachusetts, an elite white high school. And so we were kind of debriefing that event. Wow. Courtney, tell me, I mean, how was it for you like to, to start this interview? Let's be honest, folks. This is by far the, the biggest celebrity guest that we've had. So yeah. I feel like when she first got in there, it was like, oh, okay, let me just go do this, do it a favor. I said I'll do it. Let me get it over with. But as we did what we do best, I feel, on Human Eyes, we, we made it so that it was more comfortable to have these conversations. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. too intellectual. It wasn't too academic. It wasn't so much in the weeds, so much in the theory. It was more about the relationship, the culture, what comes up for you, what comes up for me. Mm -hmm. And I think she really appreciated that aspect of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And then she was drawn all in. And just her perspective is so amazing. Just talking to someone who created that body of work. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like talking to like uh, just another person that created something and seeing their perspective and how they work through their process, you know, mm -hmm. and um, what, how did they come up with that art? You know, like mm -hmm. seeing Da Vinci, how did he come up with the art? Look at Mozart, how did he compose that stuff? And Beethoven, you mm -hmm. know? And so it was really on that level for me in my mind. Yeah. 
I mean, so we had we had many months to prepare for this. You know, I think she she gave us the thumbs up in like February, yeah. and we interviewed her yeah. in June. Yeah. So there were many processes that we went through. We're like, how do we go about this? I mean, first of all, we started reading Courtney reading it twice. This the sixty nineteen project, which we've talked about almost on every episode this season. Yes. It is yes. that monumental. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Recommend listening to it because hearing it, hear the different chapters by the different authors yeah. is really beautiful, especially the music chapter. Uh, uh, that that guy is a lyricist. Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of like, I think I was like a little bit more stressed, you know, feeling like there's this, uh, like this was kind of something, you know, related to my community and we had support for my community to, to bring her on. And I think Courtney was probably a little bit worried that I was going to like over prepare questions and not really stick with our thing. <laughs> our thing is to humanize. Our thing yeah. is to like get the like, this is what it's like to just sit down and chat with someone experience. Yeah. And I think that it could have gone wrong. Um, <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. I, I think I, right before the interview, I was like, I just feeling really inspired by like, wow, we, you know, I listened to a ton of, I'm sure we both did a ton of other interviews she's been on, yeah. you know, on NPR, Code Switch and, you know, yeah. all these different things. And we wanted to do something different. We wanted to just be like, this is what it's like to like sit down and laugh and like yeah. just chill and not have things polished. And yeah. and damn it, we did. And damn it, we did. Hey. We got to we got to post that like us right after she left the call and we said <laughs> goodbye. And Courtney and I were just like, <gasps> what is that? <laughs> Yo, I mean, it's it is like just what what made it even better for me. It was a black woman that really don't give a fuck about feelings and spoke like audaciously and bravely about her truth and spoke about the research that she did. Mm -hmm. Proud about her body of work. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can't. I love greatness, man. I love it when mm. people are just like, this is me, take it or leave it. And obviously I'm good at what I do. So you have no choice but to take it. You know, like right. she was, she was, he's like, I'm here. Look at my body of work. Now what? I, right. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I love that, you know? Yeah. So, and that's kind of like what she said when we were talking about the middle sex situation where like, yeah, she, she, you know, sent out some tweets afterwards where she's like, I, they can't cancel me. I still have my <laughs> platform. Yeah. And just to like feel into, I mean, to humbly relate it to myself. Stop I, being humble. Stop playing. <laughs> no, no. Talk I mean, your shit. No, no, no. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> I don't know why it feels funny to basically yeah, she's just like, I know my truth. I have this platform. I'm going to speak it. I'm totally fine with people not getting on board and not yeah. being behind me. And so, like, related as in, like, I was the opposite when we started <laughs> Humanize. I was yes. like, oh, God, like, is it okay for me to be saying these things? Like, who am I going to offend? I had, hey. we haven't talked about my episode Hangover for a while. In season oh, one, we my. would record an episode and I would text Courtney afterwards. And I was like, oh, God, like, I, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Can we edit out this? I'm like. <laughs> and what did I say every time? Yo, You're come like, on. sure, child, sure. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. No, man. That seems like a long time ago. That does, yo. What really brought up for me, it was like, she said something to the effect of, 
I do this work not for Middlesex. I do this for a school in Brooklyn that is not used to the type of caliber of speaker that I am. Though mm-hmm. That's my... I mean, she didn't say preferred audience, but I mean, that's her. That's what she's going to prioritize because yeah. she has limited time. Yeah. She's a kid. She's doing, you yeah. know, she's now going to be a professor. And she's yeah. taking all I the love world. Because she's, she's increasing access, you know, and I live my life to do just that. And so to have access to her and the caliber of, of speaker and, and presenter and author and just the room that she has been in and then to go to a place where they barely get to see visionaries like herself mm-hmm. are amazing. That that perspective is what I live to do. Mm-hmm. You know, as I work and as I gain more access and my platform grows, I want to be able to go to communities that I serve and be approachable, to be touched, to be not, not have, I'm not a celebrity. I'm a man. You know, I've been blessed to have this platform. How will I use it? And that's what I hear and, and what I appreciate about her. She's been blessed to have a platform that most don't have. And now she's going to use it to give back to the people that mostly don't have that access. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. I love that. It's also phenomenal that like the three of us are basically the same age. <laughs> she's done so much. We've done a lot. This... She's done so much. She's, yes. I mean, even, to, oh gosh, these chapters in 1619, I'm like, oh my gosh, the research yeah. that I like feel as someone who's like, you know, written a master's thesis and stuff like and done a ton of research and then have to put it in your own words, like, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> like have like a simultaneous panic attack of like how yes. much work went into that. Yeah. Yeah, that was oh, but she did her thing. Like she deserves those accolades are yeah. are very deserving. Like uh, the sleepless yeah. nights, the 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 constant revisions, writing note. Like mm-hmm. it's just oh my god, I can't even I can't even think about how frustrating it must have been. Yeah, imagine carrying a baby for three years. You know that like that, that. I feel like that's how it was. Instead of nine months, you carrying it for three four years. Like I think she birthed greatness, and oh, that's now become the bible for DEI work. You know, like that's one of the that's one of the books that if you are serious about the work, that book has to be in your arsenal of knowledge Mm -hmm. to give out to whoever you're speaking on. And like you can't be serious about this work without knowing history, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. And so, like, yeah, I feel very, very, very blessed to be in the list of people that has read her book. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to continue to read it over and over and over again until it's just like mm-hmm. like I said I'm, I'm quoting page numbers and paragraph and <laughs> when I'm when I'm talking and just referencing it so yeah let's talk about a couple moments from our conversation <laughs> with her that kind of stuck out and I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off with this this thing she said when she was talking about it was brought up that some people at Middlesex may have been concerned, and I don't think this is a very large portion of people, but a, a, you know, a couple of people may have been concerned that she was going to come and give a talk that would make the white people feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And this is what she had to say about this. I think we have to be able to distinguish and help young people distinguish between feeling sadness, remorse, or yeah. as I said, shame. And feeling guilt. So mm. I, I, I talked about this on, on Twitter. And of course, the right wing went with it. But, you know, when I went to uh, Hiroshima mm-hmm. and visited the museum to the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I felt an intense shame as an American mm. to mm. bear witness to what my government had done 
in our name. I clearly had nothing to do with it, right? And right. and black folks who were being violently suppressed in this country certainly had nothing and were opposed to the bombing. Many of them had nothing to do with it, but that was that was irrelevant. As an American, I can feel shame for something that I didn't personally do because I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we should protect children from feeling those emotions. That is how you have empathy, mm-hmm. right? That is how, to me, as you say with your podcast, right, we become more human when we can look at something terrible and feel badly about it. Exactly. We have to protect children from feeling these. We should all feel deeply troubled by slavery. We should mm-hmm. be hurt by it. We should be ashamed as a nation. And that's different than saying you individual white child should feel guilty for what your ancestors did. Absolutely. That's unfair. And I, I don't know anyone who's arguing that. But what I also say in the book is you do bear responsibility for what you do now or what you don't do now. Yes. And that is something that we all have to own. But I'm a strong believer in the power of shame, of collective shame, of collective remorse, because I that is how we determine not to make those same mistakes again. That is how we determine that we will be better and not do the things of the past. The thing about it, like what we what we said during the episode, why wouldn't you feel empathy? Why wouldn't you feel a certain way about an egregious act that you bit? If if you're a white person or a black person or just a person, period, that you may have benefited from the death and the attempted genocide of a culture of people, like mm-hmm. why would why would it not make you feel a certain way and I get it. Well, I don't get it. But some people said we don't want, why are we villainizing something? I mean, a group of people for the sins of their forefathers. I never thought that she was trying to do that. And, or I don't think we ever have been trying to do it. It's just the honest conversation and a reflection will only bring about actionable change. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I think that's what that moment during the interview brought for me is like she's fighting so hard for the honesty of the moment that is slavery. Mm-hmm. It was a moment in time that lasted for so long that created what we present day live in. Mm-hmm. And we're experiencing it as we speak, mm-hmm. you know? And so like to get over that and to say, don't teach that to our kids is such a, an egregious wrong to the next generation that I don't even think people understand. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that is what came up for me. And it was like so eye-opening to know that I share. I mean, by her book, you see, see that it's obvious that she thinks that, but talk to her and see the perspective that she brought as well was very powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Powerful moment. Mm-hmm. I I mean, this is kind of our guest before her was Edelette. McVictor, who, who mm-hmm. talked a lot about, and she had a beautiful quote in our episode about like, you know, my forefathers were trying to create this system where people, their their descendants would be privileged, basically, where they would have mm. the advantage, but they forgot that I needed a soul. Mm. It was a very beautiful quote from a white woman, and it, it resonated a lot with me. And it feels really relevant to this in that like this isn't, and then also to bring the work of Resma McKinnon and like, yeah. we now know there's genetic trauma, intergenerational trauma that is passed on. It's in our DNA and it's, yeah. it's there. If we try not to talk about it, it's not going to go away, which was yeah. something else that, you know, 
she mentioned earlier in the episode of like, you know, it's like the don't say gay bill in Florida. Like, oh, if we don't talk about it, it's just going to go away, which is not the most mature perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and crazy. yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I think that. I think that this brings up this brings us just back to the point of like there's skin in the game for white people. There is something to be gained in feeling that in like seeing the truth mm-hmm. in itself can be healing and mm-hmm. feeling the shame and the sadness mm-hmm. can be healing. It can be overwhelming. Yeah, I mean those are uncomfortable experiences. Yeah. But I mean how many times have you had a good cry and kind of like felt better afterwards? Like that if we can't just keep it down and it kind of makes me wonder as I think about that. Cuz I think I imagine all of our listeners can resonate like yeah, you know, you have like an emotional release like that can, you know, that can feel good and just like process things. And it kind of makes me wonder like well where's the missing link? Like let's say in schools. When are we teaching our students and you know perhaps our, our teachers and administration, how to just be with each other's difficult emotions, you know, to be with our moral pain, as Joanna Macy would say. Like, there's yeah. there's pain to be experienced, and we have to be with each other in that pain. And that's not something that's, like, taught. Oh, no. It, but see... See, this is why experience is is the greatest teacher ever, and it makes experts out of everyone. Mm-hmm. When when you are when you experience pain, pain usually precedes great learnings. Usually, you know, like or great events. If you go through the pain of working out, you, you're training for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. You're not sitting in the bed, hanging out, eating and drinking and and loving life. Mm-hmm. In that way, you are putting your body through intense pain in order to gain the result of winning a gold medal. You know, like there's so many analogies. Childbirth. Mm-hmm. You go through seven, eight months and on a nine month, that's the most excru I've never experienced it, but I've seen it. Mm-hmm. The most excruciating pain. The woman's the closest to death. But on the other side of that, like you have a life. Mm-hmm. This is why so many people are having babies. It's the best worst feeling that you will probably ever have in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, that pain had to come so you can receive the joy that's after that. Mm-hmm. And so like for us to really experience the joy of the country that has been marketed to especially a lot of immigrants and other individuals, I love America. I'm proud to be an American. This is the country that I love. In order to feel the truth and the truthful pride about it, we have to go through the pain of acknowledgement that we were built. Our foundation here in America is on the souls and the lives of groups of people, Native Americans, Spanish people, people of color, Black people, women. Like This country has been built on the souls and the life and even from an economic standpoint, we wouldn't be here without those marginalized people. Right. No, absolutely. And so, like, for everything. And so, like, why would we not want to say, you know what, guys? We did this. And we talked about reparations, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the best form of reparations would be acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the best form. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, money, all the systems. Because I was thinking about that since we spoke about it. Like, systems given back to people of color and Native American individuals and all of the individuals that have been marginalized would be great. Mm-hmm. But if we acknowledge that some shit was done to all to the collective minority, like, 
I think that acknowledgement alone would feel so amazing towards 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 healing so yeah 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 it kind of it's reminding me i don't know why i'm citing so many people today but (laughs) that's apparently what's in the cards today (laughs) there is a person on instagram that i follow it's parenting person her Mm -hmm. it's a dr becky at home and she has really wonderful parenting advice Uh and she talks about how like there's no perfect parenting it's about rupture and repair. It's like mm. that's if if you can repair with your kids after you've messed up, Oof. basically, that's as, that's what's going to make the long term difference. And I mean, I just feel like so much of DEI work is about rupture and repair. It's yeah. like a constant. And, you know, there's the workout analogy there, too, of like when you work out hard, you have to you're literally tearing your muscles apart and then you're mm-hmm. repairing them mm-hmm. and it takes energy to repair it. But that. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of see that from the white experience that like that actually feeling the shame and the sadness is a a rupture and then you get to repair and then you get Mm -hmm. to like sew back together with more fullness yeah but it's not easy i've seen people and myself have done gone through incredible lengths to avoid feeling those those feelings yeah it's 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 normal because pre-george floyd we were living in a supposed post-racial era where it was colorblind, we got a black president, we we living and loving and, and appreciative. And then you had the awakening of <laughs> Trump winning, and then you, you have COVID, and then you have George Floyd. Like, it was showing, like, yo, I don't know where you think we are in this country, but he, here we are. And, mm-hmm. and, the, and the veil was pulled off even for a second, because all we could do was is watch. All we could do is look because the world has stopped. And it's very unfortunate that we had to have something to that extent for us to feel. Mm-hmm. And, and then we're still trying to fight the feeling. Right. We're, still, we're still saying, you want to say you're against my freedoms if I'm begging you to put a mask on. However, it's not against my freedom to tell a woman that, yo, no matter the circumstance, you're going to have that baby. That's not a, an attack on your freedom. Like to me, that's it, it just so you know, like it's so this thing of white supremacy is so insidious that all it has to really do is wait. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. Y'all can, yeah, George Floyd, cool, you can cool. Have cool. that conversation. We'll yeah, come yeah, back cool. to this in a second. Yeah, 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 cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be, I'll be here. I'll wait. And <laughs> not then not going anywhere. I'll, and then, and it's so right, you know. And so, <laughs> yo. Again, dude, I'm not to get too political right now because we talk about feelings, but Republicans waited this shit out. They <laughs> waited it out, bro. Mm-hmm. Like you, mm-hmm. they sheesh. And now they got now they jumping up and down for victories and this and that the and leave court right now is just again. I what they keep saying I, again. I don't want to go back to that. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. is about debrief on Nicole Hannah Jones, but I do got a question. <laughs> They keep saying, I'm going to leave it up to the states. Uh-huh. When has that ever worked? See, that's how brilliant they think they are. Like, you mean to tell me you think I'm so stupid? Yeah, leave it up to Georgia. Leave it up to Alabama. Leave it up to Mississippi to make sure that a woman has the right to abortion? Come on. They were fighting like hell to keep slaves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what are we talking about, bro? Like, who you think is stupid? I, I, yo, I don't. I, it just amazes me. So, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, so 
I have another thing I want to to talk about, uh-huh. which at the end of our interview with her, she was talking about hope and how she doesn't have a lot of hope. And I know Ooh. I kind of let's hear what she had to say about right now. I don't I'm in general, not even the current climate. I'm just I don't engage in hope a lot. It's not my kind of my bearing. I think that some people would call me pessimistic. I just think I'm a realist and I don't have a lot of hope mm. that this country will after 400 years ever treat black folks and other marginalized folks as it should or or live up to you know the kind of majestic ideals of its founding i just don't see evidence in our mm. society and yet every time i give a talk almost i always get that question right mm. what makes you hopeful how do you mm. sustain hope and it presumes that i have it in the first place <laughs> right. which i don't and i used to just dismiss the question mm-hmm. because I, I i have always been like you know we're obsessed with hope because if we just have hope that things will get better, we're not actually required to do anything to make it get better. And I realized that you can't keep talking to people about these deeply entrenched societal issues and then leave them feeling hopeless because we do have power. We, mm-hmm. we can change things if we choose to. And, you know, I, I think about someone like a Fannie Lou Hamer or, Diana Nash or John Lewis, who were, you know, Fred Gray, born into apartheid Mm -hmm. and have no reason to ever believe they could bring the end to legal discrimination, segregation in this country. There was nothing about American history that would make them think that. And yet they they fought to make it happen and they did it. So that's when I started saying, okay, I'm going to answer the whole question in a different way. And what I'll say is that it's not enough to have hope. You have to act on it. And that hope is, to me, hope without action is useless. Mm. John Lewis didn't sit and hope things would change. He he went out in the streets and made them change. Mm. And if we can funnel our hope into actions to bring about the future that we want, then I'm all for that. But if we just treat hope as a bomb, like, you know, we're just praying. Thoughts just, and prayers. Or whatever right. Think thing. one day, maybe things will get better or we mm-hmm. assume things will get better. I find that to be useless. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm just trying to to wed those two things together to say, yes, we should all hope for a better future, but we either have to take action to make it so or you could keep your hope. So, yeah, Courtney, I know <laughs> I kind of like co-opted at the end of the interview because I was trying to get some communication across from the Middlesex students and yeah, uh, we didn't have yeah. time for you to respond, I'm sure. You had thoughts about this because yeah, you do a lot with hope. And of so t- I, I want to hear, what are your thoughts on all that? A hundred percent believe in hope, you know, mm-hmm. just like I believe in capitalism. You know, I think that hope as it exists today is just used as a way to kind of patronize and kind of shut you up. Oh, ha- be, ha- be hopeful, mm-hmm. you know, and steps. How I use hope is as the only beginning of something. I use it as I feel, obviously I wasn't around then, but I use it as a Harriet Tubman would use hope, you know, because she had to be hopeful to Mm. free herself multiple times and then go back and free people multiple times. Like you had to be hope that you're going to get back to freedom every time you went back to free slaves. So if you don't have hope, you don't even want to get up during hard times. Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing about depression is devoid of hope. Mm-hmm. So you don't like so when you're in a depressed state, if you're dealing with like clinical depression, you're hopeless, you know. And so if somehow you can garner hope, I feel as though you can you're on the road towards 
saving your own life. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I get it. It's very frustrating when people use hope as all you need. Yeah. You know, like, oh, hope, be hopeful. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. Bro, I, what? That mm-hmm. This is why when people ask me, why don't you ever introduce yourself as a Dr. Russell? Because I don't give a damn about that. Like, what is that going to do for a person who's living out of a shoebox for me to say, oh, yo, I'm Dr. Russell? They ain't got shit to do with them. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to impart some kind of hope aside. It's not about me. And I think hope takes you to a place where you see something that doesn't exist and you have to take the steps to touch and feel and, and grasp onto that. So it moves from a dream to a vision when you're hopeful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and if if you're religious, it's like faith. Mm-hmm. You have faith in something that doesn't exist. If you're a spiritual person, it's like good karma or good, good just being a good person. But for me, hope is is so much more than both of those things. Hope is something that it's like a degree. Like when you first start college, you hope you get that bachelor's. You hope you get that medical degree. You hope you get that PhD. It's not sitting on your ass and not going to class and not reading your book and not taking your tests. You actively work every day. So at the end of the four or five years, you're holding that paper. You've gained the knowledge to say, I am this. And the only way you should have done that is if you were hopeful. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to start anything that you don't believe you can do. That's bullshit. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it sounds, I mean, like, you know, she ended with saying, like, hope without action is useless. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of, I guess, the thing coming to mind for me is just, like, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are trying to be hopeful about justice mm-hmm. and the future but it's so easy to get distracted from that and then bogged mm-hmm. down and mm-hmm. in life and not transition it into action I'm just trying to imagine like what is the role of that kind of collective hope without action in a larger society like is that truly useless or does that have a momentum building or more you know, someone who's not putting their hope into action, are they more likely to support someone else who's moving into action or? Action is not a universal definition. Everyone has their own way to act, Mm -hmm. you know, just like mine is audacious. I'm dying for this shit. I'm going all in. Mm -hmm. That's my act. That doesn't have to be everyone's act, you know, but to be complacent and act like shit is not going down or things don't exist that need to be corrected. Mm-hmm. That is the inaction that I think Mrs. Jones was talking about during our interview. That inaction to paint a picture that we live in this beautiful veneer of of true and utter freedom is the in- inaction that is deadly, that people love to say, be hopeful. That's the inaction that I think she was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, the spectator sport of some activism is the inaction that I think she's speaking of, Mm -hmm. just watching. But it's not for me to judge your inaction. Mm -hmm. It's not for me. I don't don't live with you. I don't know. And actually, I'm not saying you, but to anyone, I don't live with them. I don't know what they do day to day. I don't know. Like prayer could be your action, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're religious. Like that, so... It's not for me to judge. However, I have to live my life in such a way that, like Tupac said, planting a seed 
and hoping that it grows, whether it be from the concrete, right. you know, whatever case may be. That is, I feel, my job. So as I move in, in the world, all I care about is inspiring and planting seeds. That is my action, up unto and or including death. Mm-hmm. And so it would be very judgmental for me to say, if you're not moving like me, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And and that would be very contradictory towards the message of being like a hopeful man, a hopeful activist. Yeah. Uh, and loving audaciously. I, I can't I can't be judgmental and love audaciously mm-hmm. in the same way. Yeah. And I think you just referenced the poem that partially inspired the naming of our daughter Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know I remembered that, huh? You told Yeah. Rose. Yeah. Concrete. Brooklyn yeah. Concrete. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel it's a hard day to talk about this after the Supreme Court just ruled that the EPA can't restrict <laughs> emissions. I'm not Bro. feeling particularly hopeful and not feeling like systems that be reflected. Like, is it even useful to go out in the streets and protest? Is anyone going to listen? I, yeah, I'm in a bad space. But tell me, what else stood out for you from this interview? Her being a controversial figure. Mm. For me, the controversy comes from... There's only controversy to significant people or about significant situations or regarding things that matter. Mm. If you're insignificant, no one don't give a fuck. No one's talking about you. You're not controversial. And some people love that lane. Some people love to be out of the spotlight, this and that. But history has never been made by people that were not controversial. Mm-hmm. People that played it safe, we don't know nothing about them. Right. That, that's just the, the I, I hate to say it, that's the honest truth. Because we live in a world, not just a country, a world that loves to be entertained. Mm -hmm. Whether good or bad, if you're making good news, you're entertaining. If you're making bad news and you're a horrible person, you're entertaining something somewhere. And so as we create, as you create, as Hannah, as Miss Hannah Nicole Jones created (laughs) 1619, she is in history, whether Mm -hmm. you like her or not. Mm-hmm. She's she's not getting interviewed on Fox because she's just a regular black woman. Mm-hmm. She's getting interviewed and talked about on conservative social media because she's a significant person that is in the fight towards acknowledgement of a history. Mm-hmm. And so, like, as a history maker, I think we all should take, like, solace and, and be happy that people are talking about you because what you're doing is significant. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think, and I I think she embodies that. I think uh, she's whew. like, you know, not everyone's going to like this message. I'm going to go where I want it. Yeah, yeah. that's. Uh, it's very inspiring. It's very, very, very. Yeah, she's definitely, her character and her work and her willingness to stand, you know, in the limelight and in the crossfire is is, is Big. impressive. Very, very. Yes. Um, okay, we got to wrap up today. Thank you so much. No, thank you. For the conversation, Courtney. Always. <laughs> and yeah, I just say for our listeners, if you want to continue the conversation and get access to exclusive extras, we have a Patreon page for people who want to be in the inner circle of our work. And we also mm-hmm. post a lot on Instagram at The Humanized Podcast. So Come join us and and be part of the ongoing conversation. Yes, sir. Let's get uncomfortable together, baby. I love (laughs) y'all. Thank you. Bye. Peace. (laughs) 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.